in the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. That's where we'll spend our time this evening. We will end our journey by talking about the coming Messiah, which we just sung about together, how he was on a rescue mission to save sinners. The book of Malachi points towards that, and that's where we'll finish our time uh, this evening. So we'll be in Malachi chapter 1, and we'll work into chapter 2 as we begin moving through these texts. So Malachi, corrupt priest, and the coming Messiah is the title for the message. Well, you are probably familiar with a man by the name of Paul Washer, a missionary theologian. He's got a a pretty significant leading voice in evangelical Christianity uh, during our time. We're grateful for him and his ministry. But he has once said, quote, I think it is safe to say that Sunday morning in America is the greatest hour of idolatry in the entire week. Because people are worshiping a God that is a figment of their imagination. Let me repeat that. I think it is safe to say that Sunday morning in America is the greatest hour of idolatry in the entire week. Now what he means by such a strong statement is that many professing Christians have done what is right in their own eyes and have decided to worship God not according to uh, Scripture, not according to the revealed Word, uh, but according to their own ways. They've sort of taken a book of Judges approach, right? They've, they've done what is right in their, their own eyes. They not only have created in their minds a gross misrepresentation of who God is, but in reality they are offering false worship, uh, abominable worship. And to use the language of Leviticus chapter 10, they are offering strange fire. Well, it is my conviction that the second commandment is the most misunderstood of the Ten Commandments, therefore the most neglected of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse 4 gives us the second commandment, and at the heart of that second commandment is how God describes how he must be worshipped. The text says, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God... So this commandment, it does forbid the constructions, the construction of idols and falling down on the ground before an idol. So it does teach that, but this commandment is much more. In fact, the primary principle that we find in the second commandment is that God will not tolerate worship that is contrary to what he has revealed in the scripture. Well, in the passage we're studying together this evening, we come face to face with corrupt worship, dishonorable worship, abominable worship, worship of the most rank kind. It's debased, it's immoral, it's degenerate, it's the bottom of the barrel, it's the trash dump. And it is to that degree because what you have are the people of God who have decided to worship Him in ways that have not been prescribed. And shockingly, such a disaster is attributed to the corruption and corrosion of the Levitical priesthood. Well, who were the Levites and what was the Levitical priesthood? Well, the Levites, as you know, played a special role and they had a unique ministry in the life of the nation of Israel. In fact, according to Numbers 16.9, this should say, Numbers 16.9, their primary function was to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. So if you wanted to capture what the Levitical priesthood was supposed to do, there it is. There were two aspects to uh, their duties. 
They were called to oversee and perform duties in God's tabernacle and eventually and later the temple. Uh, Most notably that we often cling to were the sacrifices they had to perform. And they were to minister or be shepherds or be the worship leaders to the people, the nation of Israel. Those are the two primary aspects or the two ways in which they focused as they were leading uh, the people. And in fact, Deuteronomy 33.10 says that they must teach everything about God's law. In the post-Moses era, once the Israelites had conquered all of the land, uh, described in the book of Joshua, and then once they divided all of the land, God uniquely divided the Levites and allocated them to uh, certain places, certain towns where they were to perform the sacrifices and where they were to shepherd the people. And you can see here, and I know it's probably difficult to see, but this will at least give you an idea of of what I'm describing here from the book of Joshua. Uh, The Levites were to be spread out amongst the promised land in the conquered territories, and they were the ones that were supposed to shepherd the people. It it was a God-ordained institution where these men were supposed to oversee God's people. They were to handle all of the sacrifices as it relates to the tabernacle. And they were supposed to operate personally underneath the word of God as models and examples to follow. On a spiritual level, besides those duties, at the heart... In terms of their relationship with God, the Levites were be to hold, be the holiest and the most sanctified of people. They were to show the greatest adherence to God's law, and not just mere, like in a legalistic sense. They were to obey God's law externally, but also from within, from the heart. They were to have the highest character. They were to have moral excellence. They were to be godly. They were to be leaders not only amongst the tribes and the areas which they presided over, but they were to be leaders in uh, their home, in their families. They were to take care of people. They were to protect. They were to shepherd people. And they were to love them. Now let me stop here for a second and, and make a quick point as it relates to us here tonight. Of course, none of us are called to the Levitical priesthood. Okay, if you're questioning that, talk to Vikram after. So we aren't part of the Levitical priesthood, but in a unique way, 1 Peter 2 verse 9 tells us that we are a royal priesthood. So of course we're not performing sacrifices, we're not doing duties in the uh, tabernacle and the temple, but in a unique way that the priests were the mediators between God and men as a royal priesthood, as the people of God, we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. That's why there's no need for that system anymore. We are a royal priesthood. And I say that to say, if priests in the Old Testament were called to be the godliest of the godly, to have high character, moral excellence to be leaders, to take care of people, to shepherd, to love, to show grace and mercy. How much more should that be true of us in the new covenant today, those who have been redeemed by Christ? The the standard that we see for godliness in the Old Testament for the priest really is the same for us as it relates to our moral character and excellence in Christ. The Levitical priesthood was the backbone of the nation. You could say it this way, and you're going to see this in Malachi. As it was with the priesthood, so it was with the nation. So if you had a faithful priesthood, if you had faithful leaders, then you had what? Yeah, you had, you had faithful followers. You had faithful people. The opposite was true, and this is really what we see in Malachi. When you have an abominable priesthood, you have an abominable people so malachi 
the last book in the Old Testament. This is really the last oracle or the last word of God before 400 years of silence. Malachi drops the hammer on these corrupt priests because of their abominable worship. So what was so atrocious about their behavior? What in particular were they doing? And then we need to ask ourselves, why does this even matter today? <laughs> why are we talking about Malachi and Levitical priest? What does that mean for me today on this hot Texas summer day? <laughs> One our text this evening During Malachi's prophetic ministry, God pronounces two indictments against the Levitical priesthood. And he does this to expose their wickedness and to call them to repentance. Now what does it mean for us? Well, for Christians, God's indictments serve as an examination, a test as to whether we are properly, biblically, Worshiping and living for our God. The fact of the matter is, these priests were not, and Malachi calls them out. This message tonight ought to be a challenge for all of us to make sure that we are living and worshiping our God in a manner that would be acceptable to Him. So these two indictments, Malachi lays out for us. Let's begin looking here at the first indictment. And that is that the priest failed to offer proper worship. The priest failed to offer proper worship. You follow along as I begin reading here in verse 6 of chapter 1. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And this is God speaking. And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, now he's talking to the priest, how have we despised your name, your character, your reputation? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? It's an interesting text, isn't it? Let's stop right there. That's an interesting portion of Scripture. Now Malachi, his name means messenger. And you can see from that text that we just read that he is delivering a powerful message. And he's delivering it straight from Yahweh, from from God. Uh, This prophecy, this word of the Lord, was given about 400 years before the time of Christ. So this is after the Assyrian captivity, the Babylonian captivity. This is after after Ezra and revival. This is after the rebuilding of the temple. This is during and around the time of Nehemiah. So we're at the end of Old Testament narrative and Old Testament story and Old Testament revelation. In fact, this is the last word before the announcements of two men and their birth, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. The theme of Malachi, and you saw part of it here, is a severe rebuke and a call for repentance. A severe rebuke and a call for repentance. I I challenge you either tonight or tomorrow when you wake up to read Malachi. It's a short book. You can read it in less than 20 minutes. But you're going to see God, through the prophet Malachi, calling out a people for their sins. Here we've got a corrupt priesthood. 
In chapter 2, God calls out the nation for marrying foreign women, divorcing the Israelite wives and marrying foreign women. And then in chapter 3, Malachi calls them out for abusing and withholding tithes and offerings. But this rapid decline started with the leadership, with the priests. So God, first off, through the pen of Malachi, indicts the priesthood for their failure to worship him. You saw this in the text. God begins by calling them out for not respecting him, uh, not honoring him, not giving him glory. Now, he does this in a strategic way, and you see this all throughout Malachi's writing. He does this in a Q&A format. No other book in the Old Testament does that. So if it seemed a little jarring at first, well, it ought to be, because out of all of the Old Testament literature, Malachi is the only book that has this going back and forth Q&A format where God is the one instructing from his throne. That's a courtroom setting. The priest and the people are on trial. So God says, look at verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant honors his master, yet I am both father and master and you show me zero respect. That's what verse 6 is telling us. Honor means heaviness or weightiness. It's related to the word glory, which means respect. So what's happening here is an argument from the lesser to the greater. In the earthly realm, a son honors his father. He shows him respect, especially in Jewish culture. Also, a slave honors his master. So how much more should that be true of God's people towards their true father and their master? God is basically saying, look, you respect your earthly father, you respect your master, but you will not respect me, the creator, your heavenly father. Uh, the fact of the matter is that there wasn't respect, it had actually gone down the negative path. Not only do they not have respect, we're told here that they despised the name of God. That's a wild statement, isn't it? I mean, you've got Levitical priests who are supposed to be the messengers and the mediators between God and men, acting on behalf of God to the people, and we're told here that the Levitical priesthood, they despised God, His character, His name, His person. Despise means to treat badly or poorly and to treat despicably with contempt. And you'll notice this is a participle, which means this wasn't just a one-time deal. This is all the time. I mean, this was their life. This was their culture. Now, how did they despise the name of God? How did they do that? Well, they did it with inappropriate sacrifices, you see, they didn't necessarily say that they despised God's name. They didn't take the Lord's name in vain. You know, they weren't necessarily talking bad about God. But they despised the name of God by offering inappropriate sacrifices. Look at verse 7. God says, that you have defiled food upon my altar. Now, how did they do that? What does it mean that they have put stained or polluted, defiled food on the altar? Look at verse 8. Well, you have brought blind animals for sacrifice, you have brought lame animals for sacrifice, and you have bought sick animals for sacrifice. You see, the, the, the priests, and this is what's interesting. They didn't actually fully skirt their duties. You notice that? They're still bringing what? <laughs> They're still bringing sacrifices. They were sacrificing animals, but they took it upon themselves to bring animals in various conditions. 
But I don't have to go into too much detail about this because you know this. What type of animal was to be brought to the altar? An animal without blemish, without spot. But here they were bringing blind animals, lame animals, sick animals to make atonement for sins. Now you can see why God is so angry and furious. Because the Old Testament sacrificial system was supposed to be a picture of Christ, the ultimate and final sacrifice, who was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world that was without spot and blemish. But since the priests here in Malachi's day were corrupt, and instead of being the bridge builders between God and man, the entire sacrificial system had become ineffective. It was basically obsolete. Because if you don't bring the proper element for worship, then you're not actually doing what? You're not worshiping. They weren't actually mediating anything between Yahweh God and man. God says, look, you would never treat your earthly father like that. You would never treat your master like that. And notice, he, he, he takes it one step further. Look at verse 8 with me. You wouldn't do that to your father. You wouldn't do that to your master. Look at verse 8. Who does he throw into the mix here? <laughs> you wouldn't do that to your governor. You would never even treat governmental authorities that way. And the governor, by the way, according to this text, would have never accepted such an offering. That would have been offensive to him as well. Now God's indictment continues. Look at verse 9. But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Notice that Malachi, he just continues to highlight the priest's rebellion against God by noting that God will not show them favor. He will not be gracious to them. And that he himself is withholding his beneficence towards them due to the fact that the altar has been profaned. In fact, and this is such an indictment here. In fact, Malachi states that it would be better for the temple to be completely shut down than for these priests to continuously bring in blind and lame animals to be sacrificed God doesn't want pseudo sacrifices he doesn't want pseudo worship he would just rather it be shut down than those things be offered now I think there's wider application uh, that we see in the evangelical world today so in Malachi's day God is saying look if you're bringing false worship if you're bringing offerings that I have not prescribed, if you are trying to worship me according to your way and not mine, you might as well close your doors. That's what he's saying. And the list could go on and on on different churches, how they have gone about worship in their own ways. You've got pastors and churches that show movies on Sunday mornings. And try and incorporate biblical truths based on a secular movie. You've got pastors using explicit and sensual language from the pulpit. You've got pastors affirming homosexuality. Pastors affirming abortion. You've got pastors teaching professing Christians that they basically need to ignore the Old Testament. Because it's not important. And just recently, 
there was a church that had a Star Wars day on Sunday morning for corporate worship. Now, I'll admit, my wife loves Star Wars, but we don't do Star Wars on Sunday morning. But, but you see, in God's eyes, churches that have abandoned how God has prescribed worship to be done, God would just assume that those professing churches have their doors closed. That's what he's telling the priest here. You are not worshiping me. And because you're not worshiping me, it would be better that the gates were shut. Thankfully, here at CBC, we only worship by what God has prescribed. That's what I've loved about this church for so many years now. Is that what we do on Sunday morning, what you do here on Wednesday evening, is just laid out in the New Testament so clearly. That's why together we have already lifted our voices to our God. We have gone to him on our knees in prayer, and now we're sitting at the feet of his word. God is pleased with that. It's a sweet-smelling aroma to him when we come to him as he has prescribed. But as you know, worship isn't just in truth. Worship has to be in spirit as well. That simply means, brothers and sisters, it has to be from your heart. That's John 4. God is spirit and we worship in spirit and truth. So let me ask you, we are prescribed to sing unto the Lord, but did you do that from your heart? We are prescribed in the New Testament to read the word and sit under the teaching of the word. Are you doing that from the heart? When you were singing, were you engaged with those biblical lyrics? Were you focusing on our Heavenly Father and Christ and the gospel? Or was your worship, to borrow some of the language of Malachi, was it blind, lame, and corrupt from the heart? Brothers and sisters, God wants true worshipers. And I'm grateful that Those of you that are here tonight understand that reality, but let this challenge you all the more to make sure that our worship, not only Sunday morning and Wednesday evening, but the way in which we live brings honor and glory to our God. Well, regardless of such behavior in Malachi chapter 1, Go down to verse 11. God tells us that even though his name is being profaned, his name will remain great. Verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. I mean, isn't that so wonderful that our great God is still our great God? Because it is God by nature. It is who God is within himself where he desires to rescue sinners and to save sinners. And no matter the sinfulness and the unbelief we find in this world, God's character is immutable. He cannot change, and his name will always be great. That's what verse 11 is telling us. But look at verse 12. But you are profaning it. You're profaning my name. In that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among 
the nations. I mean, again, God is dropping the hammer here. He, he couldn't be more clear. Malachi says that the priests are profaning God's name. Uh, that means to defile, to pollute, to contaminate, to make unholy, to do something that God disapproves of. Well, what were they doing? And notice verse 13. Don't miss this, guys. Some of the animals that they were bringing to be offered as a sacrifice to the Lord were taken by robbery. Others were sick and lame. There is just no way that our good and perfect God, our holy and just and righteous God, can accept an offering like that. I mean, in the priest's mind, their conscience was so seared that they thought that they could steal an animal or even the, the people that brought the animals to the priests, they could have obtained that animal by unlawful means and offered it to Yahweh and they thought it was acceptable to God. But Malachi reminds the priests, remember they are getting this message. Malachi reminds the priests that Yahweh God, look at verse 14, he is a great king. Now notice what is happening here. They've already disrespected God as father. They've disrespected God as master. They've disrespected God as Yahweh, his name, and now they're disrespecting him as king. Again, the, the, the priests, they knew that God was all of those titles. He is those titles. In fact, the book of Psalms, more than any book in the Old Testament, describes God as king. They knew the Psalms. The Psalms were basically the hymn book of worship that they used during that time. So Malachi indicts the priests. They had chosen to detach themselves from God's law concerning sacrifices, and they failed to perform the duties that they were called. They did not offer proper worship. They failed miserably. But there's a second indictment that we see in our text, and that is, that the priests failed to commit to righteous living. They failed to commit to righteous living. Let's begin in chapter 2, verse 1. So God continues, And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. Verse 3, Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Again, strong language from God. Now Malachi draws from that blessing-cursing motif that we see all throughout the Old Testament. That's sort of the framework for Israel's theology, right? If you obey God, you will be blessed. If you disobey God, you will be cursed. Okay, some of you guys are still awake. It's good here. So Malachi draws on that theology. If you obey, if you repent of your sins, blessing. If you continue in your disobedience, cursing. Now clearly what have we seen from the priest here in Malachi's day? This doesn't look like a blessing situation. So in what ways did the priests fail to commit to righteous living? This is important. In what ways did the priests fail to commit to righteous living? Well, the first way, and this is very simple, they did not obey the commands of God. They did not obey 
the commands of God. Well, we see that in verse 1 with the word commandment. God made decrees, statutes, precepts, and the priests just flat out didn't listen. They did not obey his commands. And the issue wasn't that the priests didn't know. How do we know that? Because they kept bringing what? They kept bringing sacrifices. I mean, they kept doing tabernacle and temple stuff, but they just weren't doing it according to what God had said. You see, God wasn't calling the priests to just make some modifications to their sacrifices and offerings. Of course, that was necessary. But the central issue was the fact that they had abandoned the way of God from the heart. And that's how disastrous sin works, brothers and sisters. They didn't just wake up one morning and thought, yep, I'll just go steal a lamb, and yep, we'll go sacrifice it. It was a small compromise after a small compromise after a small compromise, a small compromise, and another one, and another one. And then before you know it, they're offering strange fire. That's how sin works. It's subtle. The central issue is that they had abandoned God from the heart. But isn't that one of the major themes of the Old Testament? The fact that God, although does want sacrifices to be done his way, what's he really looking for? The heart. Psalm 51 tells us this. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God confronts the priest at an external level. Yeah, quit doing sacrifices that way. But then he calls them to repentance. They refuse to take heed to God's word, his commandments. But God is exposing their sin. Isn't it always the bad news that drives someone to the good news? That's what he's doing. He's exposing the priest's sin to be able to set up the back half of Malachi's writing that calls for repentance in a future day when the Messiah would come. But they weren't taking God serious externally and inwardly. And by the way, it was this culture, this disobedient culture, that paved the way for two groups of people that would come on the scene during Jesus' time. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. You remember what Jesus said about them. Whitewashed tombs. (laughs) Dirty all over, corrupt, full of dead bones. How bad was their sin? I mean, I think you get the point. It's pretty bad, right? Their sin was so bad that God said that it would affect subsequent generations. Not that they were responsible in the sense The father's not responsible for the son's sins and vice versa, Ezekiel 18, those things. But their sin was so rank that it would take generations for it to recover. Notice verse 3, not only does God warn of future consequences, he also speaks of putting refuse or dung on their faces. Now that is one of the most graphic texts of Scripture. Refuse, it it means dung. It literally means the contents of the gut, the intestines, the, the stomach. God is saying from those improper sacrifices that he would take the guts and the dung of those sacrifices and throw it all over them. 
I mean, it sort of makes you a bit queasy to think about that, right? (laughs) Guys, God, he doesn't want false worship. This is why this is a challenge for us tonight. God wants us to worship him from a pure heart in ways that he has prescribed. The priests are an example of what not to do. Now, God shifts gears from cursing the priesthood to recalling faithful Levites of the past. This is a breath of fresh air. So God exposes the sins of the Levites, and then he sort of goes back in time to talk about the faithfulness of Levites in the past. It's amazing. Look at verse 4. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace, uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You see what just happened? That's amazing. We we need to see the contrast. God, through Malachi, has exposed the wretchedness of the corrupt priests. And then he takes his audience all the way back to those priests, those Levites who were faithful He says, that's the example. That's what God desires. And you saw the language there. It was a covenant of life and peace. Verse 5, reverence. Verse 6, true instruction. Unrighteousness was not found. He walked with me in peace, uprightness. People were turning away from sin. That's what the Levites were supposed to be doing in their own lives, in their own families, and for the people. What was the Levitic covenant to be like? It was to walk in the blessings of God. And Malachi calls the priests to go back in time and act like those that went before them. Notice verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found. True Levites were characterized by those who knew God's law and obeyed it. But isn't isn't that true of the follower of Christ? If you profess Christ, are you known by loving God's word and obeying God's word? Of course, not perfection. But is that the direction or pattern of your life? Is, Is God's word sweeter to you than honey is it is it is it more precious to you than gold or silver do you hide it in your heart that you might not sin against our heavenly father and our master and our god and our king do you rise early to meditate on it that's what our lord wants the priests were to be doing that and they weren't So not only did the priests fail to take seriously the word of God, the second way in which they failed to live righteous was that they did not shepherd the people of God. They did not shepherd the people of God. Let's look at verses 8 and 9, our final two verses this evening. But as for you... You have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people. Just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. 
That's so saddening, isn't it? Because the priest had turned away from the word of God, they did not take it seriously. They caused many others to do what? To stumble. That word stumble means to stagger, uh, to fall, to break, to shatter. The priests had not only corrupted themselves, but they had corrupted the nation. And based on what God had just said, not only did they corrupt the immediate nation, but those that would come, they would be corrupt as well. That's how far the sin went. Sort of the timeless application out of the fact that they didn't shepherd the people, that they didn't take care of the people, that they didn't teach the people in God's ways, that they affected them in a negative way. Let me ask you, what effect do you have on the people around you? The, the priest had an immediate negative effect because they did not adhere to the word of God. What effect do you have on those whom you associate with? If we claim Christ and his gospel, we ought to have an effect on people. Of course, we can't save any person. That's only a work of the Holy Spirit. But we can certainly influence people with the truth of God's word. So rather than walking according to the law of God, the priests did what was right in their own eyes. Rather than following the covenant of Levi like those in the past, they corrupted it. Rather than preaching and teaching the law of God, they skirted their duties and caused many people to break. Rather than receiving blessings, they were despised and abased to the point where God said that he would throw dung from the sacrifices on them. Rather than pleasing God, God was angry. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the message, Malachi, he's not just writing about rebuke and condemnation. That's sort of the pattern of the prophets, isn't it? I know many of you have read through the prophets. And their message is often judgment, judgment, judgment. What are you thinking? Right? Quit acting like that. But the prophets have a unique way of giving a glimmer of hope. And that glimmer of hope is the Messiah, Jesus Messiah that we just sung about who, according to the Apostle Paul, came on a rescue mission to save sinners. In Malachi chapter 3 and 4, there is a glimmer of hope. And in fact, Malachi tells us that that glimmer of hope begins with the forerunner, the one who would prepare the way. We know him as John the Baptist. And then Malachi says that there will be someone greater that comes after John, the son of righteousness, the one who can bring true and everlasting healing, the one, by the way, that was much greater than John the Baptist. And listen, where the priest failed in Malachi's day, Jesus, the great high priest, did not. The priests of Malachi's day were spiritually blind and lame. Yet Christ lived 33 and a half years without one spot or blemish. Not one sin, not one transgression against God's law, both externally and from the heart. He did what no other priest had ever done, by the way. <laughs> this is amazing. This is the gospel. He performed the perfect once-for-all sacrifice for sins, but this great high priest didn't perform that on an animal. He gave himself up as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that perfect, spotless Lamb. 
if you're here this evening and you aren't a Christian, and I plead with you to come to Christ. Your sins are very much like those priests. You need washed and cleansed, and only Christ can do that. He will forgive you of your sins. He will cleanse you. He will wash you if you repent and come to him and ask him to save you. And he will by no wise cast you out. He will actually save you today. If you already know Christ, brothers and sisters, let me challenge you. We cannot go through the motions in the way that we live and the way that we worship. Let me ask you, how then shall you live in light of Malachi's writing? And even more pointed, let me ask you, how then shall you worship? Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your precious truth, and even though there are hard truths in your word, we know that there is a precious truth in Christ. Let Malachi and these priests be a call for us to live holy lives in a way that brings you honor and glory and in a way that shows our gratitude for our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who hung on that cross for six hours, faced your wrath for our sins, and then rose three days later. Help us proclaim that truth till he returns. In Jesus' name, amen.